Hello everyone, uh, this is just a heads up to say that in this first part of this episode discussing Björk's albums, um, there is brief mention and discussion of stalking, harassment and suicide. Um, we don't go into much detail at all, um, but it is mentioned in the discussion of uh, Björk's album Homogenic, um, so you can always just skip past that particular album discussion, um, or if you want to give this whole part of the episode or the whole episode a miss, then I promise we won't mind. Hello friends and welcome back to part, uh, episode 3 of Black Band T-Shirt Podcast. Uh, my name's Ollie Connors and uh, I'm here with my psychic and best friend Chris Morant. I know he hates the moniker of psychic but sticking with it anyway. It's great oh, and I, did, I, did, uh, I didn't do my pun um, podcast not but presented by two people unlike Sasha Baron Cohen's creation Borat not wearing a rankini. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is part one of our ranking and general chat about the life and career of Björk Goldmanstottir. Uh, this has been quite the undertaking. Um, yeah. Just to, just to um, let you know if this is the first time you've been tuning in. Um, this is a version of Chris and I's favourite pub game where we take a band, or in this case an artist, and uh, rank their albums from worst to best. Uh, we've already done episodes on Biffy Clyro and the Dillinger Escape Plan. Um, while Biffy have eight albums and Dillinger have six albums plus three EPs that we covered... This has felt like an even bigger undertaking than both of those almost put together, really. Yeah, I'd say so. Is it... I mean, is that through lack of familiarity, do you think, on your on your part? Um, yeah, weirdly, because I've always considered myself a Bjork fan. Mm, me too. But I think a casual fan, in that I think I more respect and admire her as an as an artist and i mean that in in the absolute sense of the word artist we'll than, absolutely get into that yeah. yeah than than i have actually listened to her if you know what i mean yeah As i think before before doing this there were three albums that i'd never listened to yeah so i had listened to to six of them at least once mm-hmm. um so maybe not not too bad but most of them it felt like i was giving them the first proper like attentive listen i'd say yeah, I'm the same. And I think a lot of um, people who like us would consider the, uh, themselves Bjork, Bjork fans are the same um, in that they paid a lot of attention to her 90s work, but every, everything past the 2000s is kind of like, oh, that's come out. OK, that's cool. Um, you know, and um, never really gone back into it. But um, uh, talking of which, we're going to do a little bit of... Um, approach this a little bit differently because um the kind of eras of bjork uh, bjork are quite <laughs> split. do excuse me i'm gonna do that all the time um obviously the pronoun the correct pronunciation because of the umlaut over the o in icelandic is bjork but i uh, i've been lazy all my life in pronouncing it bjork um so that will slip in occasionally uh but yeah we're gonna um no matter what the rankings we're going to cover her 90s period plus Vespertine first and then everything else afterwards in part two. And it may may extend to further than part two because, as we said, this has been such a massive undertaking, this may extend into several parts. Um, yes, uh, and also what we're going to do a bit differently before we get into it is rather than do our usual initial chat on influences... Just wanted to go through um, what Bjork did, Bjork did before she became a solo artist. So she had a whole career before she went yeah. solo. Did you know, for instance, Chris, that she released a album in 1977, age 12? I, I, yeah, I see. I've this. I've gone on a proper journey for this one. Yeah, um, I've gone deep. Uh, yeah, and and so glad I did because there are things from. 
before her solo career that I did not know anything about and didn't know existed that actually are, yeah. are now going to become regular listens for me, which... Uh, okay. I, I mean, I'm happy to wait and talk about that as we go through it, but... Uh, no, no, that's cool. I mean, I've never listened to um, her her 12-year-old, her record um, released as a 12-year-old, so I, the no. self-titled record. Did you bother with it? No, I, d- I couldn't find that particularly easily, so right. I gave up on that one. I listened, I managed to find two tracks by... Um, her Icelandic kind of punk band, uh, which I can't remember the name of, because it's in Icelandic. Is that, that Tappy Tikaras? Yes. Who have reformed We're, without her, right? Brilliant. And um, translated into English, what's even better is that translates into Cork the Bitch's Ass. <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, like Chris says there, started out sort of in the punk scene. Um, after Tappy Tickeress, she was in a band called Kukul. Which that who, that is the one that's going to be on my playlist because it's. Have you listened to it? No. It's great. It's really okay. great. It's more more post punky. It's not. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't listen to it and predict that Björk was going to go on and do amazing things because she's not. I wouldn't say she's kind of the focus of it or anything. Um, right. But what I love reading about and finding out was that that basically formed through one of her Icelandic friends meeting the members of Crass mm. in, in London and basically yep. that was how it got made, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, re- I've read that, that it got uh, released on Crass's record yeah. label. Yeah. Um, what uh, A band I have listened to uh, post-Kukul was uh, The Sugar Cubes. Mm. Um, I've heard a few of their bits and, um, yeah, interesting band. Again, quite post-punky. Um, got vibes of, like, B-52s and Talking Heads meets the Cocteau Twins. Absolutely. B-52s is my big one that I got. I think I don't yeah. know how much is that to do with the male vocalist style. I think he's he's got a very mm-hmm. similar style. I also... There, there was one song on their last album that I recognised. It must have had... I know it did, they, they were fairly popular at the time, mm. so it must have had some kind of UK airplay or something because I recognised one of them. Yeah, Birthday was a big, big song. It was Birthday. It was the song Hit was the one that I recognised. Oh, okay. Um... Which and I think I think the only reason that they are so good though is is because of Björk. Unlike the previous act, <laughs> her, her voice is is amazing all the way through that band, and the music is very. I'd say the music's very dated. It's good, but it very much sounds late eighties, early nineties. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, like I guess we don't do, need to do too much of a prelude because. Um, we're going to talk loads about some of the points you touched on about her being such an inventive and unique artist and her influences and them not being typical influences mm. or influences like we've never really spoken about before in this podcast or even in these chats we have in our pub game. Um, I, I, this is why I'm really looking forward to this one is because actually I have, I have no idea. Like my, my, my ranking of the albums has changed uh, just through I've made sure I've listened to every album I think three times yeah uh, and and my, my my rankings changed every time I've listened all the way through and probably will <laughs> again likewise <laughs> likewise with favourite songs and things I think it's just one of those one of those artists it's almost impossible to do it but but here yeah. we are <laughs> yeah yeah um okay well yeah I'm really excited uh to get into um how we've ranked these so um yeah, let's go for that. Uh, it's your turn to go first, I believe. It's my turn to go first. Right, okay. So, number nine of the Björk solo albums. Um, I've gone for Volta. Snap. Okay. <laughs> cool. Which um, is, I, I, that, that's changed quite a lot. I had it quite high up at one point, but... Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we'll okay. talk about that when we get there. I've, uh, yeah, I've always had it dead last but we'll get into that later um uh number eight i've gone for her most recent record utopia okay i've gone uh for biophilia there number seven is for me is biophilia uh i've then got uh just realized i haven't added one of them into my list but i know where it goes there we go (laughs) Uh, my now mm, okay my number seven is post Oh, thought that okay. might get that reaction. Yeah, interesting, interesting. 
Um, right, okay, my number six is debut. My number six is Utopia. Okay. Uh, number five, I've got Medulla. Uh, number five, I've got debut. Okay. Uh, number four, I've gone for Volnicura. Four is Medulla. Uh, number three, I've gone for Vespertine. Snap. Number two, Post. Number two, Volnicura. And number one, homogenic. It was always going to be, wasn't it, really? <laughs> it was always going to be homogenic, yeah. <laughs> that, I was going to say, um, I didn't mention in the previous, but that's, that's the one thing I do know about you and Bjork albums is that you have cited that as one of your favourite albums of all time. So I knew that was going to yep. be on top for you. Uh, Spoilers, but, Chris! But, uh, but I... Uh, <laughs> but I do agree. <laughs> <laughs> right, OK. So, oh yes, I should say... Before we get into it, uh, the top five that we're going to do right at the end of this podcast, um, <laughs> length pending, is um, so Bjork's debut debut uh, was released in 1993, and so we've gone for the top five songs of 1993 um, for our segment, The Niche the Better, as we christened it last week. Um, yeah. Um, and we've gone not for singles, necess- right? Uh, yes. I, well, Otherwise it would have been phenomenally difficult. <laughs> um, yes, all of mine were singles. Yeah, yeah. So uh, all of my top five. I've got some album tracks on my honourable mentions. Oh, okay. But yeah, okay. So, um, yes, we're starting off with debut. Um, the, yes, um, very descriptive. Even though it's not technically her debut, she did have the album as a 12-year-old, as we got into. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Even though we've both got it sort of around the middle of our ranking, um, it's... I wouldn't go as far as to say it's an import, It's a great album, but it's certainly an important one. Yeah. Uh, both in terms of 90s electronic music uh, and... Um, it's ongoing, growing influence on mainstream pop. Yeah, I would but, say it's before before doing this, it's the one that easily the one that I knew the best. Right, I feel interesting. Like it's, I feel like it's one of the, the as an album. I think it's probably the one that is the most out there kind of thing. Like I think it's got some of the bit. Obviously, not the biggest, which we'll talk about later. But no. I think it's got some of the bigger singles on it. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that as well is because when I first started probably listening to her, uh, I went to the Alan Partridge method and started listening to Greatest Hits. <laughs> uh, and obviously that's in mostly in chronological order, I think, if I remember rightly. So a lot of the yes, top it is, end yeah. of that is from debut. Um, so yeah. they're just the ones I knew the best. Yeah. Yeah, I got into it through the greatest hits actually, but um, as well, um, I'd heard bits and bobs, uh, which we'll get into later. Yeah. Uh, but um, debut, uh, where should we start first? Here, um, I think it's worth sort of giving a bit of context as to how this album, because I think that it's by far her most, um, and for me personally, for me, it's almost kind of a weakness of it compared to some of the others. But it's the most varied musically yeah of the albums because it was basically her going uh this is this is me doing everything i've not been able to do with the band essentially so yeah yeah so obviously we've um we, we, we we've we've talked before about how she is in a couple of uh, punk and post punk acts and um yeah i guess debut's reigning influence is uh um, overriding influence, I should say, is her moving to Britain um, and discovering rave culture. Yeah. Um, so, which was massive at the time of 1993. Um, I think the um, the Public Disturbances Act, or whatever it's called, was just about to be passed in 1994. So, rave culture was still massive. Um, like, it wasn't so big in the charts. Like, Acid House was still a big underground thing, and like acts like The Prodigy and uh, Underworld had yet to really break through mm. into the mainstream as they would do in subsequent years. Um, but, um, uh, what was I going to say? Yes, she was, um, she was collaborated and interested in, she uh, collaborated with artists like 808 State at this stage. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and a guy called Gerald. Um, that's actually the name of an act, not just <laughs> a guy called Gerald. Um, <laughs> which really shows through on this record. Um, but it, yeah, like you say, it is um, it is varied. And, and it was, it um, was, what I think the variation comes from something I was I found out about when I was sort of reading up on it as well was that initially she was working with kind of jazz arrangers and producers, and and there's still there's two tracks mostly on there that are still left over from those sessions being um, yeah like someone in love and. Uh, the anchor song are the two left That's over from right. that. Everything else is produced with um, the Massive Attack guy, is that right? Uh, yes. Um, I can't remember his name now. Nelly Hooper. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Nelly Hooper, yeah. Um, that's interesting as well, because for my <laughs> for my best part of debut, I've got that I didn't hate a song where the lead instrument is brass in the anchor song. Yeah. See, I've got I've got I've got that song as my highlight as well, but because she did the um, out of sync, slightly out of key brass uh, uh, arrangement that Bon Iver is doing twenty years later. <laughs> right. Okay. Bon, it's okay, basically fine. become Bon Iver's signature sound, and she was doing it twenty years ago. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but for my worst song, I've got like someone in love. For your worst song. Yeah, wasn't it? I didn't like it. Right, but okay. then I'm a jazz head. I love, I like, <laughs> I love my jazz, and I love like that song. Really reminded me of like Billie Holiday, that kind of. Which I just thought. I think mostly it was because it surprised me. I'd never, mm-hmm. I never knew that Björk had that part of her kind of musical library before. Yeah. So to hear yeah. that that come through as a massive influence was something mm-hmm. I enjoyed. So, do you think you've um, gone to those as highlights because they've held up better than most of it? Um, um, yeah, I'd say they sound that they sound the most like the Björk that I think of. Uh, interesting, and also, okay. and also, they sound the least dated. They sound the most kind of um, ahead of their time, almost, even though the influences mm. are much older. Well, yeah, um, so for my worst part of this record, I've gone for the cheesiness of the synths. Yeah, yeah, I've I've put very 90s in places, essentially. Yeah, yeah, extremely. I mean, electronic music dates so quickly. Um, We're we're, um, at the stage of technological advancement in electronic music that things from five, ten years ago sound ancient now. Like, if you like dubstep was the biggest thing in the world in 2012 and you'd be laughed at if you dropped a dubstep track near these these days it just it just sounds so of its time and like yeah 1993 stuff uh to 2020 years um sounds so europoppy and trite yeah but and it is worth remembering it's 27 years old like yeah it's a long time (laughs) Yeah. yeah 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 but um but that's not the overriding thing I took away from this record. Like, no. it's not all cheesy Europop synths. Um, you've got some really mature, lush material. Like, I love those Bollywood strings on Venus as a Boy. Which is my top track. It's your top track. Okay. It's a wonderful, wonderful song. Um, really fun lyrically as well. Yeah. Um, uh, his topics of conversation suggested exciting sex (laughs) (laughs) something I wanted to mention at the top of the podcast may come through um, while I'm speaking that I've always had a bit of a crush on Bjork just wanted to make a I, I got that from a couple of things you've you've mentioned before But (laughs) but you know what I'd say like Go, having been completely immersed in the world of Bjork for the last two weeks doing this, like mm. I get it, because she's <laughs> because she's such she's she's an enigma. Like she she's such yeah. a mysterious kind of. You want to know more, you get drawn in. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I don't. Uh, yeah. So just bear that in mind, guys. I don't want to make this too horny for Bjork. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I think it's a voice crush thing as well. Uh, like, I have a voice crush on, um, like, Mike Patton, Greg Pachato, Chino Moreno, Trent Reznor, and, uh, like, she is their 
equal in my eyes in terms of vocal talent um my best song um is uh, i told you to listen to this because it may not be on the uh, st- on streaming services um on the record but it's later added um is uh, play dead um this yeah. was a song that she did for the soundtrack of a film called the young americans which i've never seen but really want to check out because it stars Vigo Mortensen and Harvey Keitel, which yeah, sounds yeah. fucking brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and it's done with uh, David Arnold, who has since gone on to do a lot of soundtrack work with not only Guy Ritchie, uh, but also some of the latter-day Bonds. Oh, okay. And, and um, Play Dead, in my opinion, is kind of her go at a Bond theme. See, I've thought that about a different song. <laughs> but... Intr- Okay, but I did, I did get, I did get that thought from that as well. You've reminded, mm. I'd forgotten. I was trying to remember today which other song it was that gave me that vibe. It is that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, which makes it a bigger shame that she didn't get to do one. Um, I, uh, the I night. Did, I mean, there's still time. <laughs> you never the, know. <laughs> the nineties the, the threw up um, a few like weird Bond theme choices I mean you've got Tina Turner on Goldeneye pretty standard but then Sheryl Crow on Tomorrow Never Dies yeah. and um, Garbage on The World Is Not Enough um, but it's, it's a shame um, yeah Bjork didn't get to do one of those um, anything else you want to cover on debut or um, are we pr- pretty much done there I don't think we've done have we done worse did we, oh yeah you did your worst song my worst song purely because of what we said about the kind of the last genre of music for me that I'm yet to get a proper appreciation for, and I don't know if I ever will, is is house. Okay. Um, there's I don't know if it's a like background of a drummer thing or whatever. Like, I, I, just a throbbing beat doesn't do it for me. Mm. On its own, uh, so big time sensuality. As much as I absolutely love her vocal, uh, okay, adore her vocal. For me, it's easily the worst instrumentally. Because it's got the cheesy yeah. synths and horns and things. And, <laughs> uh, yuck. Um, which is a shame, because I think if I could have that vocal from that song and put it on a modern instrumental, I think it'd be incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I would, the one other thing I wanted to talk about from the debut, actually, that I loved, uh, and I think almost kind of hints to how brave she gets later on in her career with certain decisions and things. I loved the track that is... Uh, is it There's More to, Life, or More to Life Than This? The one where she's, it's recorded Great in the song. toilets. Yeah, and there's, it, yeah. there's the bit where it cuts out and you just hear her dry vocal in the toilet <laughs> cubicle I just, I just thought that was fan- I love any like we, like we mentioned last time I think any music that is deliberately going this will sound bad and we shouldn't do it so I'm going <laughs> to uh, immediately makes me go yeah I like you <laughs> yeah I really enjoyed it yeah um, just fuels um, the general idea of this record is that she sounds like she's having a hell of a load of fun. Yes. Yeah, yeah, recording absolutely. this. Yeah. 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 Just uh, her and her vocal histrionic ways, um, which brings us on nicely to post where, um, yeah, I put that second and um, you put it fifth or sixth. Uh, let me double check again. I can't remember. Uh, Seventh. It's, it's been, yeah, it's, it just doesn't, I enjoy it. It's probably one of the ones I'd be more likely to put on if I just wanted an album to listen to and just easily enjoy. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't excite me on the same level that most of her other albums do. Okay. And I don't know if that's because of a, a, a the looking a hindsight thing. Maybe at the time it would have been more exciting because it was in the midst of trip hop and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas now, because I'm listening to it after knowing Massive Attack and Paul Set and, and all the and Tricky and all the big trip-hop acts well it just kind of sounds like an extension of that right I mean so this was out 1995 which came before well um, I think that was a year before Dummy uh, a year before Mezzanine and a year before DJ Shadows Introducing which is yeah. another massive trip-hop record that you um, didn't mention there yeah, yeah. but uh and she, and she was actually, um, I think, dating Tricky at the time. Yeah, and he he has, he has production credits as mm-hmm. well as there's a few producers on this one. I think I, I saw, but they were all very much trip hop. Yeah, um, yeah. I should tell the boys and girls at home, trip hop is very much my bag. Like, 
I think it's the the genre outside of you know the general umbrella umbrella of rock and metal that I love the most. Um, I adore trip hop, and I, ha- I have this constant inner battle as to whether the nineties or the two thousands were the better uh, decade for music. But um, when you've got grunge, trip hop, and Brit uh, Brit pop coming out in the same decade, mm. the nineties puts up a fucking good fight. Um, yeah, I love the trip hop on this record, but I understand. Um, yeah, I think it why does it really, really well. Don't get me wrong, and it, and I like that it is almost more varied than a lot of other trip hop albums, mm. um, because it's Bjork. Like it's never going to be straightforward. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I think it, yeah, it, it's it's I love it. <laughs> like I do love it. It's just that I love every Bjork <laughs> album. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think the thing is, I'm a big and obviously I won't go into details, but I'm I'm a big sucker for someone committing strongly to a concept um, which is something that obviously she does later on in her career over Mm -hmm. and over again really well and this one not so much or not as obviously anyway but I think we might be underselling it as just a trip hop album because you got industrial on Army of Me Um, you got ambient into uh, into techno on hyper ballad Um, you've got um, classical on um, Isabel yeah I've got I've got my highlight as being the the, I've described it as like classic Hollywood strings on Isabel like it sounds like something from like a a classic Hollywood film or something I've got um, Isabel as my highlight track of the record um, because I don't know if you came across this on your um, on your research, but um, Isabel is the second part of an unofficial trilogy. Um, it starts off with human behaviour. Uh, middle part is Isabel, and the last part we'll get into on the next record. And I wanted to put. I think um, I know. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't, wanted to I don't know, the, I think I've worked out possibly. Tom. I think. Uh, uh, well, um, I wanted to put at least one part of this ex- excellent trilogy in because the last part is such a fucking amazing song. It's only bettered by one song in the album, which is my best song. Okay. So we'll, we'll we'll get into that later. Later, but it's my definite silver medal for Hermogenic. Uh, but yeah, Isabel is absolutely wonderful. Uh, what else uh, highlights of this record? Um, yeah, Army of Me again sounds dated. Sounds dated as fuck now, but her, she's so in control yeah. of that song. Um, I think, yeah, I've got as a best part of um, of this record, like, whilst the opening three do sound dated electronically, she's so in control yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that it um, uh, that it sound that it sounds marvelous. But um, it's broken up a bit by my worst song. Which is it's so so quiet, which is a controversial one. Yeah, I as mean, li- I haven't gone through it as a worse song because I think it's a great song, but it is my low light of the album is the fact that it's on the album. Mm. If it was a standalone single, great. Uh, yeah, because and I would say, like this came out when we were what seven, ninety five. Yes. You said yeah, so we yep. would have been seven. I it is one of my earliest vivid music memories is that song coming out and the video my, and all of it yep. yeah and, I, and I don't know if I would have ever properly considered listening to Björk without that song existing yeah 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 um, mine too I think my mum bought the single yeah. and um, me and my sisters we're all, we're all very young yeah like you say we were seven um, and uh, we used to absolutely fucking love jumping around the living room uh, to these mad horns and this yep. woman shrieking, we thought it was the best thing in the world. And I think, and you've you've hinted at what I was going to say about it there as well. Is I think it's actually her background in punk coming through a bit. Like it's like yeah. it's like a punk song in terms of the <laughs> en- the energy and the kind of the fact that it's easy to excite kids. <laughs> like it's just got that, that that simple energy to it. That but yeah. but equally makes a child who's not been exposed to odd music look at it and go. Is she is she allowed to be doing that on TV? What's she doing? <laughs> and it is um, it is such a brilliant video as well. Uh, Spike Jones directed one of the greatest uh, uh, music okay. video, video directors ever. Um, but yeah, um, and it is her biggest hit, biggest hit. Uh, it reached number four in the UK charts yeah. and stayed on the UK chart uh, for fifteen weeks. 
um, which is, yeah, really cemented her as a mainstream pop star. I think that year at the Brit Awards, she won Best yeah. International Act. Yeah. Um, and that, but, that was the other thing I said. Like, it's a two, it's a it's a difficult thing because you've got the one side of it that exposed her to loads of people, which is a yeah. good thing. Mm. But then, if people went and bought her album based on that, there's there's nothing else remotely similar to it. Oh no, God like, no! It's yeah. such a wild card. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't. I didn't choose it as my worst in the end. I went with the modern things. I really um, like the modern things. I don't know why. I just did, I, again. I don't dislike it. It just didn't click with me on the same mm. level as the rest of the album did. Mm. Mm. And Hyper Ballad was my best. Amazing song. Cause, cause yeah. It's Hyper Ballad. Yeah. Um, so bizarre lyrically, yeah. throwing things off a cliff. Uh, <laughs> um, it's actually interesting. A song, uh, interestingly, a song about depression. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I have said I have in my notes. Actually, I've just seen. I've completely forgot, but I did. I have put deceptively dark lyrics, like yeah, because it's quite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what what, what, I'd, what I'd look like? I'd what I'd look like um, splashed against those rocks? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember I was listening to it in headphones while I was cooking and that bit happened. I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, going in, uh, so something I touched on uh, with, um, with a, It's So So Quiet, it kind of gave Bjork this image, uh, this maniac image. And I've gone for my worst part as... Uh, the journalist punching incident, which gave her a reputation for years as this yeah. off, off the, off the, uh, off a rocker, uh, pop star. So, um, for anyone out there who doesn't know, um, there's this journalist who'd been following, um, Bjork for several days while she's on tour and, um, and, uh, um, pressuring her son, her young son, Sindri into, um, into talking to her and uh, this journalist said, welcome to Bangkok. And um, Bjork flipped out, understandably, having been harassed for four days and smacked her. But um, yeah, um, also realised, unfortunately, welcome to Bangkok gave that problematic band a song title. Um, oh, I never realised that, Link. Okay. <laughs> but yes, um, which... Um, uh, if we're done there with... Um, with post, that get that gives us a nice segue onto homogenic, because um, there are a couple of things um, that led into the writing of this album. Um, this media image of her as this sort of what we'd now call um, the hugely misogynistic manic pixie dream girl trope, yeah, and homogenic amongst many other things is her wanting to shed that image. Um, it's also an album inspired by her breakup of uh, with uh, Goldie, the drum and bass DJ. Um, several tracks uh, uh, allude, allude to that, um, especially the track Five Years, the five-year relationship. And um, we, gave, we dropped in a content warning at the top of the episode. Uh, this album was also influenced by the incident of, um, involving a stalker fan, Ricardo Lopez, who sent her um, an acid bomb through the post and recorded a video of himself taking his own life. Um, an extremely harrowing incident that um, influenced a lot of the lyrical content about this record. But, <sighs> Chris, I wanted to, first of all, go into um, what influenced the making of this record and what went into forming and shaping, like you said at the top of the episode. Um, yeah, one of the greatest albums of all time. Homogenic is a stunning album. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. Like, it's, 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 it seems like you could take any kind of superfluous, uh, what's the word, like superlative. Yes, uh, and it would fit it. Like, yeah, it's it's equally kind of majestic and yet intimate, and it like yeah, I it, it 
again, this is probably second to debut, the one that I knew the most before doing this. Yeah. Um, but but listening to it a few times again over the next last couple of weeks has just really reinforced just how great it is. Yeah. I'm absolutely with you on that. <clears throat> I think um, I think what I realised, um, like I was saying earlier about trip hop being my bag. Um, I think this is the best trip-hop album, if you could even call it a trip-hop album. Um, it's better than DJ Shadow's Introducing, it's better than Massive Attack's Mezzanine, it's better than Portishead's Dummy. Um, I think it goes, I do, I do think it goes beyond. I think it, I think it, it's, it's too um, vast to be a trip-hop album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, looking at the tra- uh, track listing here, I could only think of one, two, maybe three tracks that you could call wholly trip-hop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, her influences span into the classical, into the avant-garde, into the experimental. I mean, where the fuck do we even start with homogenic? Ah, <laughs> oh. It's, yeah. Chris, talk, talk more about homogenic because I could talk this this could be an episode in itself. Just talking about we could go track by track. Um, on this I mean, record. I mean, it's so fucking I mean good. yeah, I've got I've got notes for every track. So this is the first. I bet what I've been doing with Björk was I I went through, I did a, a listen through just kind of just listening. I did a second listen through where I made notes uh, as I went as I was listening to it, and this out of the first three, this was the first one where I ended up writing something down for every track. Uh, mm. Because because there was something that came to my mind for every track, which I think says yeah. a lot about the fact that yeah, that there's, it's all interesting. Like there's there's it's constantly changing, but doesn't feel disjointed in any way. It feels very much mm. like one piece of work, despite the fact that there's yeah. all these different things going on. Um, can I take a guess at your the the whole trilogy thing you were hinting at? Uh, yeah, just because I'm curious to know whether it is anything to do with what I'm thinking or not so was the third one you're thinking of yoga no okay so you might my thing my the only thing that I knew that links Isabel and yoga is that their song she wrote when she went back to Iceland for Christmas no so um, okay go on, let's get let, let, let's go into it so uh human behavior so th- it's a semi autobiographical tale uh but also um influenced by um Fa- uh, magical realism yeah. of um, a girl that is born by a spark in the forest. Human behaviour is her um, is 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 the girl Isabel trying to find her way in the world and being confused by human behaviour, um, being more having uh, finding more in common with plants and animals. Yeah. Isabel is her growing up and finding love for the first time, okay. and the last part, Bachelorette. Uh, okay. It's her striking out on her own. And Bachelorette is, yeah, like I said, my silver medal on this album. It is a phenomenal song. It's, Bachelorette is, is the other one that I thought sounded like it could be a Bond song. Interesting. Um, and interesting. I didn't realise that it was actually written for a film. It was originally was written, it? it was originally written for I haven't written down what the film was now, but you can go and look it up and, and it's out there. But it it was written for a film uh, mm. she was asked to write it for and she wrote it and then uh, and then said to the director of the film, No sorry, I want it for my album instead <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was fantastic. I'd love to see the, the director's face. What sorry? <laughs> yeah, no, you can't have it now. It's mine. <laughs> I also love uh, Bachelorette. Can I just say one of my highlights of, of uh, something that I talked about with Dillinger quite a lot as well, actually, in the last episode, but something mm. that I think Björk is incredibly good at that I think is, is something that's really difficult to do is taking these completely opposing musical genres and styles and blending mm-hmm. one into the other seamlessly without it feeling... So the fact that Bachelorette is this massive kind of epic uh, film score, essentially... Uh, to then go and fade out into that accordion outro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. <laughs> why would you think of doing that? I don't know why that would be a thing. You'd go, this is what I'm going to do with the end of this song. But it works brilliantly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, I've got I, I I've got for I think silver medal on um on best part is just everything on Bachelorette. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> just everything. Um but that as that's not a best part really. Um yeah, just those swelling strings, yeah. her voice soaring over the top of it, it's just absolutely absolutely phenomenal. But best part I think is the outro of yoga. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my best, my best part. I've gone. It's another outro, kind of second half, almost uh, the second half of Pluto, um, where it gets very industrial, and yes. then the, and then the bit where you get her distorted vocal, yeah, just losing the plot and just kind yeah. of get, is phenomenal. Especially so, in headphones, that was just like, uh, oh my god, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's um, yeah. So I'll go into later that I've only seen uh, Björk once um, live. But um, so Pluto is about the Ricardo Lopez incident um, that I talked about earlier. And it's her primal scream of desperation. And despite the song's difficult lyrical matter and lyrical concern, she plays it a lot live but did not play it on the time I saw her and I can imagine it being so Chris and I in our chats about best live sets ever will often talk about Nine Inch Nails at Reading 2007 mm-hmm. as a gold standard for festival sets and one of, the, one of my personal highlights of that set was the breakdown of The Great Destroyer mm-hmm. just utterly crushing everything and I imagine the end of Pluto to be like remi- that experience yeah, it did remind me of that Oh, I yeah. did, did it actually remind me of that song and it's it's also a bit like um, I love this record uh, more than you but um, the end of Second Son of R by Oathbreaker from Raya okay the sheer primal scream yeah. of yeah, despair yeah, yeah. I know what you mean yeah 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 okay. um, other highlights of this record uh, we barely uh, touched on Hunter as an intro great, um, great intro song yeah yeah Almost ruined by, I don't know if you've uh, investigated this, um, almost ruined by the fact that 30 Seconds to Mars covered it. Is that a cover? Yeah. 30 Seconds to Mars has covered Hunter by... um, I mean, I know they have a song called The Hunter, but it sounds completely different. Separate separate to that, they have a a cover. Oh, I see. Uh, Okay, no, I never heard that. It's awful. It's awful. I imagine, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, like, um, I, I, I do have a time for, for certain 30 Seconds to Mars songs um, oh yeah the, ki- the kill's an absolute fucking but, banger but, but uh, their covers I do not no um, um, un- Unravel which is um, yeah. Tom York's a Radiohead singer Tom York's one of his favourite songs of all time I love the imagery of the lyrics of that one again yeah I think it, 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 yeah fantastic uh, I, I do. I think this is the first album of hers as well that, for me, started something that I think you can then say for her, almost for all the rest of her albums, is that it sounds like twenty years ahead of its time. Yeah. Like yeah, the, this is like Hunter as well, especially and it, as it comes in, I was listening to that thinking, this, there's no way this was in the nineties. Like those wonderful skittering drums. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly the word I've used. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my my favourite track's Yoga. Okay, uh, okay. It's just just sublime. Her yeah. vocal just go. It just keeps going up and up and up in terms yeah. of the quality of of her vocal performance. Yeah. Um, one more highlight I wanted to do before um, going into my uh, my best song is. Um, Alarm Call is an interesting one. It's quite, it's a fairly basic song, but I almost think those backing vocals are quite Michael Jackson-esque. Okay, yeah. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I have said it's, it's, it's my worst one, and I've, I've purely put because I think it's the only one that still sounds maybe slightly dated. Okay. Um, um, for the same reason, for the same reason, I've gone for my worst song as uh, Immature. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, but um, those two are a nice little break between the wonderfully pissed off five years and then going into Pluto 
near the end. But um, yeah, now I want to go into the um, the gold medal for this record. Um, the probably guess what it is because it's the only song we haven't mentioned. Um, now, before we do this, I, is yeah. this, this is is this the one that you said you wanted to talk about the single version rather than the album version? Correct. I think Correct. that's a shame. Because I think okay. the album version is perfect, and I much prefer it to the single version. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think it's a perfect closer for this album, as it is. Right. So but, we're talking about... So we're talking about All is Full of Love. Um, so uh, something I wanted to pop into, uh, drop into on the about the album version, it's called Howie's version on the record. Do you know who Howie B is? yeah, yeah. yeah. He was in Soul to Soul, Back to Life, yeah, Back yeah, to yeah. Reality, <laughs> which is brilliant. Yeah. But yeah, um, so All Is Full Of Love. Um, I never pick a favourite song of all time because it's too hard. Um, there are songs I listen to when I'm happy to make me feel even more jubilant, when I'm sad to pick me up. Um, but there are days when I could easily consider Björk's All Is Full Of Love uh, my favourite song of all time. Uh, and it's the single version for me because I love the electronics on it. Um, but I feel it's a stronger backing to her voice than just a simplistic... Uh, I agree that the remix works better... Uh, especially coming after Pluto. Yeah, I think it's a nice come down and I think it's a nice showcase of her vocal talent as kind of the standout thing of her, of what she does well. But, but I, yeah, but I, I do get it. But I, but I think it works even better with that electronic backdrop um, and her just, yeah, like you said, there are, no super, there are no superlatives strong enough for this record as a whole and for her vocal on that song. It's just beautiful, heartbreaking, tender, majestic, elegiac, stunning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> I almost don't really want to mention this, but the video gave me some confusing feelings. <laughs> I don't see. This is the other thing: is I I've seen very considering how much. I love her imagery and things. I've not seen many of her videos, um, which is something I'm going to be going further into after we've done this to, to kind of explore the other, all, everything else surrounding the albums that she has done. Um, so from this, from this point on, onwards, the videos get very interesting. Yeah. Um, especially in the All Is, All Is Full Of Love video. It's made with Chris Cunningham, who did a lot of Aphex Twin videos. Okay. Um, including the massively popular one for um, Winder Liquor. Yeah. Um, All is full of love. Features Björk, Björk as a robot having sex. Uh, okay. And sparks going off and all and fluids being exchanged <laughs> and all sorts of. Yeah, I don't know what it says about me as an autistic person. Um, so my favourite Pixar movie is Up, and uh, sorry, it's Wally because I connected more with the robot being sad than anything in Up, which is supposed to be like <laughs> the um, you know the the massive um, mawkish, um, yeah. clumsy mawkish Disney movie. But uh, yeah, robots having sex it it was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> seeing see, see, seeing that video. Um, it's yeah. I mean, you're set for uh, the future. That's all right. Then. <laughs> um, Terminate as a porno for you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> give me, give me, give me your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. That that fell to shit pretty quickly. I was I was set all set to be for this to be a podcast that we could be proud of, but it ended up. <laughs> it's gone. I mean, I think what to be fair. And obviously, we've we've gone down a, a silly route, but yeah, like something that uh, I never really acknowledged or realised before was quite how much sexuality plays a part in a lot of her music. Like, oh yes, it 
Because at first I was like, oh, am I reading into that? And then it gets to a point in her career where you're like, no, I'm not. Like, that's definitely supposed to be that way. Like, That definitely comes into play on our next record. But uh, before we go into it, um, I just wanted to sidetrack for a sec. Now, I know we established from the off we're not going to do soundtracks. So we're not going to cover Selma songs, which is her um, uh, soundtrack to her 2000 film dancer in the dark uh which she was which was nominated for uh best film at the Cannes film festival i think it won the palm door i did yeah 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 Yeah. and she was nominated for best original song at the academy awards her duet with the aforementioned tom york um i've seen it all um have you seen dancer in the dark chris i haven't um and i would like to however it's kind of from what I've been reading up on, like it's it's been soured a little bit by yes. reading her experiences of it. Yes, um, it's Lars von Trier, isn't it? Lars von Trier, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's what I was just about to go into. It's um, yeah, I think it's a very polarizing film. Um, even at the time, like Peter Bradshaw, an infamous film tri- the infamous film critic at the Guardian, was kind of castigated for giving it five stars and calling it his mm. film of the year Lars von Trier um, polarising <laughs> but um, uh, yeah I think it's great I love Dancer in the Dark but um, yes it has been soured by her experiences um, making it and um, her treatment by Lars von Trier mm. um, yes um, it was interesting it was interesting that we she don't said... need to go we don't need to go back into it too, into, over it too much but the fact that he's a real piece of shit and denies it yeah it's not surprising to me in the slightest no. I would just say something she said is that it made her never want to do a film again but interestingly she is in a film coming out soon uh, which yeah. sounds really good actually I don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. um, which is co-written with um, one of her Icelandic friends who is a poet that she's done a lot of co-writing with. So she, Yeah, so she didn't co-write the film, obviously, but the film is co-written with, uh, by him, and it stars her daughter as well. Mm-hmm. Sounds mm-hmm. like it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Vespertine is the next record. Um, so, yeah, Vespertine um is Björk. so we themed this by 90s going into 2000s and onwards but uh, vespertine actually came out in the year 2000 is that right uh 2001 i think 2001 maybe. okay bloody good year for records my favorite record of all time converges jane doe came out that year um but uh this um yeah, if if I wasn't um, thirteen at the time and doing lists, uh, this would have been high up on there. Um, yeah, Vespertine, brilliant record. Um, inspired, like we said before about her um, her sexuality, it's very present on this record. She was in a new relationship after Goldie with film director uh, Matthew Barney. Yeah, and um, yes a lot of that on this record particularly in uh, Cocoon and uh, Pagan Poetry um, what else have we got that's uh, very influenced by that two seconds while I bring it up uh, Hidden Place as well yeah. Um, yeah very sexual album very intimate um, but an amazing record especially coming coming in the wake of Homogenate to do something completely different it's a very brave move from her um because homogenic and post were so were such big sellers and so critically acclaimed but um it it did it did pull off for her i think pitchfork might have named this if not their number one album of the 2000s then certainly in the top five yeah i think i think this is this is the album where for me she she makes that turn into becoming uh like as respected as she now is as a as an artist overall like mm-hmm. of of being someone who is who is about the art of it it sounds so knobby and pretentious i'm aware <laughs> but like but she really is she's one of the few examples of people who i think you could say that unpretentiously she is a pure artist and doesn't Absolutely. really care about the sales or 
I mean, <laughs> I'd hope she doesn't, because if she does, she's going about it the wrong way. Um, <laughs> it just so happens that she managed to develop that reputation and that respect that her albums do still sell loads, even when she's taking massive, massive risks. Mm-hmm. Or at least are um, highly critically acclaimed. I think Vespertine is a lot of people's favourite Björk album. Um, okay. Only number three for me, but um, I can see why. Um, but what I wanted to play devil's advocate for a second. Wait, you say, Ollie, that's not like you. Um, is this album top heavy? Um, uh, maybe. So. I mean, yeah, maybe. I think my yeah, out my my choices for favorite song probably yeah, mostly in as in like my contenders for favorite song probably mostly in the first half. I think. I think um, yeah. yeah. What 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 comes closest from from the uh, latter half is uh, my bronze medal for best song, uh, which okay. is heirloom. So heirloom, is, I, okay, I'll talk about this now as soon as you brought it up. So heirloom uh, is the song responsible for both my highlight moment and my low light moment. Okay. Um, purely being, uh, so highlight being the lyrics of heirloom, right? I think are just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just yeah. Uh, and the low light again so this was again it's my number three another one that being honest there isn't a low light that I could really realistically pinpoint but Mm -hmm. for the sake of having to come up with one for this (laughs) um, the only thing I could really grasp onto was the fact that I'm not as much a fan of the instrumental of Heirloom as I am the rest of the album right Okay. I, I would like the, that vocal and those lyrics. I'd like to hear that over something that is more in line with what the rest of the album is doing more <laughs> than how it is. Uh, my worst part of Vespertine is, um, as usual with me, a bit of a conceptual one. So we're both fans of these movies. Um, me, maybe a bit more than you. But, so, you know... At the end of the two towers, there's that song over the credits, yes. Gollum song. Yeah, that was originally meant to be sung by Bjork. Oh, that would have been brilliant. Yeah. So it, did, um, she, did she not want to, or do we know why? It didn't so happen? she dropped out because she was pregnant with her daughter. Oh, fair enough. So it was sung by um, Emiliana Torini as well, a fellow Icelandic singer. Okay. But yeah, how amazing would that have been to have Björk on the uh, Lord of the Rings soundtrack? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, yes. Um, for my worst song, I went for um, uh, the little uh, Glockenspiel interlude, Frosty. I like it. but See, I, li- I like it in the context of going into Aurora. Um, and, which is um, one of my contenders for best and it, and, it, and it puts you in the mind for weirdness because Aurora starts with footsteps in snow yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, my, my worst I've got Harm of Will um, okay kind of, similarly to the modern things on post it just is the one that kind of did least for you with me the least yeah. yeah okay nothing wrong with it I don't dislike it it just didn't make mm-hmm. didn't wow me as much of a lot of the rest of it uh, but um, l- let's get on to positives. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, for my silver medal for best song, um, I've gone for It's Not Up To You. Yeah. Great song. song. Great song. But best part and best song on this record is the centrepiece of this album, uh, Pagan Poetry. It's my top as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, best part of that song uh, is uh, I love him I love yeah. him <laughs> it's great. she loves him <laughs> it's, some, it's something but it's something about Björk's voice as well it's something that I absolutely love and it happens on most of her albums at some point where everything drops out except yeah. her vocal and her dry vocal most importantly like no reverb no effects on there just like she is singing into your ear um, and there's something about her voice that just sounds incredible when it is left alone like that yeah um, um well we're gonna get into that a lot on the next record yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um okay also, i think i'm sure i think i'm right in remembering pagan poetry has an example of something i can't believe i've not mentioned yet because it has happened on every album we've talked about of one of my favorite things about björk's voice is when she does the <laughs> thing <laughs> <laughs> No one oh, does yeah. that like her. I simple <laughs> in simplicity. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, 
Did you want to uh, give any other particular shout-outs for songs in this record? Um, not not any specific tracks, but something I would want to like to talk about is is kind of more going into why I think it's that turning point for her becoming more of an overall artist with this one, mm. uh, and and that the concept idea of the fact that I was reading into it. I love the fact that she spent. See, I've, <laughs> uh, some of my kind of weird electronic music that I make, I've done this for a couple of songs, uh, and I do know other people have done it, but I didn't realise that she'd done this for this whole album. Mm. which is that she spent three years recording household domestic sounds <laughs> and weaving those sounds into the beats of the album. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, again, something that makes it sound so ahead of its time, I think, because it's something you hear in music a lot now, in electronic music especially. Mm. Um, and also, it's very... I, I got a very uh, ASMR right. vibe from it. Right. <laughs> it's, all those, it's all those kind of crunchy, crinkly, like, just... Yeah, really, really close to your ear kind of sounds. Um, so, um, <laughs> this wouldn't have been an influence on her, but that uh, kind of interweaving of uh, domestic sounds was uh, present on Cursive's Domestica. I know we yeah. talked about Cursive, and, um, and uh, this actually brings up a recommendation. Have you ever listened to um, a record called Hide the Kitchen Knives by The Paper Chase? Uh, no, but uh, yeah, it's something I've read up on. Yeah, um, um, if you like, if you like domestic sounds interweaved into weird fucking music, that's your homework. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, enough about. I'm just weird. trying to find because there was something that I that I um, found when I was uh, researching this one that I I just loved that she properly kind of went off on one on a bit of a rant, and I absolutely supported her with it. I'm trying to find who it was that she worked with on the... So there was a duo that came in and worked with her on the beats for the end of the production process. Mm. Um, oh, it's really annoying me. Might can, I, can I just mention, while you're, while you're looking it up, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the music records, uh, the music videos on this record. Um, so we've got uh, Cocoon, which um, sees a string. So... Bjork's encased in like a latex suit and Bjork, sorry, um, and red string is emitting from her nipples. And um, that was actually banned on MTV too for being too sexual. (laughs) Um, MTV generally, sorry, would mostly been played on MTV too. Um, But um, also pagan poetry uh, was was banned for... um, Basically, being sketched outlines of a couple having sex. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah if like uh, me, I've, I've, sorry, go on, finish. If like me, you're a bit horny for Bjork, um, those might be worth checking out. <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> so, uh, so in fact, it's Matt Matmos. Oh yeah. Uh, were, were who came in and, and helped produce near the end. But she basically, uh, in an interview, had a bit of a rant about the fact that she got quite pissed off with a lot of reviews and a lot of the kind of critical acclaim for the album gave them credit for the beats and right. for the sound and production of it. And she basically said, I spent... She, I, can't, I can't find the quote now, which really annoying me because it's great, but I'm sure if, if people go out and look it up, they can find it. But basically saying, it actually really pisses me off that I spent three years developing these beats working on it it's me they came came in and helped me polish it at the end and because they're the men on the project they've got credit (laughs) as producers um i mean which i think um, is a you know great point yeah um so yeah that's such a good place to quote to close this part because bjork's always fantastic for a quote um something's disappeared i'm sure i saw it on her Wikipedia page, um, but something I saw um, that uh, talked her talking earlier in her career about the male myth of rock and roll, and um, I think it's disappeared from her Wikipedia because she talks about David Bowie, okay. and obviously he's uh, passed away in the interim. Uh, but yeah, like I think an interviewer asked her if, if she if she'd sort of. Um, admired or held much reverence for artists like Bowie and she said no uh, rock, uh, rock and roll is, is, a, is a male oriented, oriented myth and I find more soul and passion and connect more with, with electronic music fair fair 
yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I was thinking to myself that she's kind of, I'd say she's the, really the, the closest to someone like Bowie that, that music has had. Since him. Other, other than him, yeah. Mm. In, terms mm. of, in terms of the kind of constant changing, not just appearance and kind of thing, but changing concept and, and, and changing musical style and things and embracing new technology and all that kind of and, yeah, um, side of it. Sorry, I've just found the one I wanted to um, uh, to quote here, which, um, yeah, um, sort of contradicts with a lot of our talk earlier around debut and post. Um, okay. it, uh, it's as follows. I find it so amazing when people tell me that electronic music has no soul. You can't blame the computer. If there's no soul in the music, it's because nobody put it there. Yeah, I think I think it's a great like I it's like electronic music generally is something that I've got so much more into as I've got older. Mm. Um uh but I'd say the kind of dance side of it is something that I still can only appreciate in very particular contexts where you're meant to be dancing. Otherwise, I don't get a lot out of it. Um but but there are people like Björk and like the the alternative side of it, I suppose, and like that dreaded term IDM, where <laughs> where where there are you know there's appeal there, and I and I, I do I agree with what she says. I think it's right. It's just another instrument. Mm. Um, so just in the same way that you can't blame your guitar if you're a shit guitarist, <laughs> you can't blame your computer if you tell it to do a basic four four thump beat. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I think that's a really good quote. Cool. Okay. Uh, well, that's the end. That brings us to the end of part one. Um, an exhaustive look at the first four, <laughs> first four uh, Björk records, and we've still got fucking five to go. Still got Jesus five Christ. and our top five to go. Yeah. To <laughs> split this into three. <laughs> anyway, yes. Hope you've enjoyed that, and um, do join us for part two and maybe part three, and uh, <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk to you again soon. See you later, folks. <laughs>